Well, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis. We are in a series that started in November, and it's still happening. I underestimated the different Sunday nights that we had off, but uh, we are continuing in our series, Joseph and the Average Joe. Some of you may need a reminder, I think I'm in that category, of where we have been and what God has been teaching us through the life of Joseph and how every single one of us can identify with what Joseph went through and the lessons we can learn from his story in Scripture. We started by seeing the family problems that plagued Joseph's family and how he could make all kinds of excuses of how dysfunctional his family was, but Joseph didn't choose to do that. He chose to press into the things of God. After we saw the family problems and what plagued him, we saw the sexual temptation that came to Joseph. Just like Joseph, we are faced with Temptations of all kind, and in our culture and society, it seems like Genesis chapter 40 or so, or back in there, was just like something we'd read today of temptation that would come out and grab you. We learned how to flee from that. Finally, we saw in hard tests and hard times how God was faithful to Joseph and he wants to be faithful to us. Tonight, I want to share a, a message entitled, Joseph and the Average Joe, a Guilty conscience. Now, I've tried to preach this message three different times. So I'm not sure what that means, but I believe the Lord has ordained it for tonight. One, we had a scheduling conflict, and then there was something else I can't remember, and then a blizzard. So uh, I think we're here, and we're ready to dive into what God has. So your outline probably does not have tonight's date on it, but if it says a guilty conscience, you have the right one. Uh, A man visited a psychiatrist and He explained, I've been doing wrong, doctor, and uh, my conscience is bothering me. The psychiatrist asked, so do you want me to help strengthen your will? The man replied, no, actually, I'd rather you do something to weaken my conscience. Now, that's a joke. That's about as good as they're going to get tonight. If you don't laugh there, it's going to be long for you, and I'm fine. I'll just keep preaching. You know, I, I think we can identify with that thought more than we want to. It's easier to say, you know what, why why don't I just play down my conscience instead of strengthen my will to deal with what is coming my way. We live in a culture that guilt is bad and we should flee from guilt at all costs because it damages us and it hurts us. It brings ugly feelings to us, and so we don't want to deal with anything that guilt has. It's negative and it's destructive. But the truth is, sometimes a guilty conscience can spare us the destruction, and it can lead us to a place of victory and freedom. When was the last time you thanked God for a guilty conscience? That's not one that we put on our thankful list too often. You might need to add it to that list because God has given us the gift of a conscience and when it is convicting to us, he is trying to spare us from future pain. Now I realize that tonight as we talk about guilt, we need to first, before we can dive into the scripture, address true guilt and false guilt. Now there's some of you that are just people who feel guilty all the time. You feel guilty right now because it said guilty conscience and you're sure that this is something that you have done wrong and you go through life apologizing for your idiosyncrasies and apologizing for your mistakes and and you just feel guilty enough for everybody else in this room. There's other of you on the other opposite end of the spectrum 
that there is nothing in this world that could make you feel guilty for the things that you probably should be feeling guilty about. So I want us to look quickly at some of the differences between real and false guilt. You see, it's possible to feel guilty without being so. In other words, it's possible to be guilty without feeling it. So how I feel does not determine my guilt. It's more than just a feeling. A false guilt is a result of disregarding the judgment of man. If you're taking notes, jot that down. False guilt is a result of disregarding the judgment of man. For example, someone places an expectation upon you or you place an expectation upon yourself and and you don't measure up to that expectation, you begin to feel guilty. That's false guilt. On the other hand, true guilt actually has nothing to do with the judgment of man. It's a result of disregarding the laws of God. God is holy, and he requires holiness from us. He says, be holy as I am holy. He calls us to holiness, not something to kill our joy, but he wants us to live in the fulfillment of the life he has given to us. Therefore, he gives us laws, and he gives us his command to live out. For example, the Ten Commandments. They're not some list of man-made rules to keep you from enjoying life. No, Rather, they are principles that God has given to us to help us live life to the fullest. But when we disobey or obey God's commands, it makes a difference. And when we disobey God's command, we do this at our own risk, at our own peril, because we are moving into our own direction. And guilt that comes is a gift from God because we are disobeying Him and it's going to lead to more hurt. You've heard it said that every time in Scripture when God says don't or stop, you could just fill in the blank after. Don't, it's going to hurt. Or stop, it's going to hurt you or somebody else. A guilty conscience is telling us that something is going to continue to bring pain to you or someone else. True guilt, that is. This leads to another distinction between true and false guilt. False guilt is an ill-defined reason for dread or remorse. Now think about that for a second. It's an ill-defined reason for dread or remorse. If you are feeling guilt and and it's ill-defined reason for dread or remorse, you don't have a good reason to feel guilty, this is most likely false guilt. If you say, I can't put my finger on it, there's no specific restitution that I need to make. There's no specific person I need to go back to and apologize to. It's just this kind of vague, general feeling of, of being wrong. Most likely, that's false guilt. On the flip side, the Holy Spirit may be dealing with you about something. When he is, he's not vague. He's very specific. He puts his thumb in your back. It's like a neon sign flashing. True guilt is a specific reason for dread or remorse. When you know exactly what it is that you are dreading or what you're feeling remorse over, there's a good chance that this guilt is is true and it is a gift from God. Now, you may not like what he is saying, you may not like what he's asking you to do, but you can't argue with the fact that God is speaking to you clearly about what he wants you to do. You can't argue with the fact of why you feel guilty, because you or I are guilty of what we have done. Finally, false guilt leads to rationalization and destruction, where true guilt leads to repentance and healing. 
Now, if, if we respond right to the guilt that our conscience feels when the Holy Spirit pricks us, it is not something to destroy us or to tear us apart. The enemy will get you to feel this way. When you're feeling true guilt and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, the enemy will say, this is the end of you. You're going to be done. It's going to be all over. And in fact, it's the exact opposite. This is a pathway to redemption. This is a pathway for healing to happen. And when we see true guilt leading to repentance and healing, God is at work in the midst of it. Just because we have guilt doesn't mean we experience repentance. Doesn't mean we experience healing. But God gives us the opportunity to do so. It's kind of like the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. You know, worldly sorrow is when, when you're sorry that you got caught in your sin. Worldly sorrow is when you're, you're frustrated because of the circumstances that are created because of your sin. And man, if you could take it back, you would, and you just feel so sorry about it. This is worldly sorrow. But godly sorrow is, is deeply wounded for what you have done to God. Your heart is sorrowful. God, I have sinned against you, and, and I don't want to sin against you. It's not that you're not concerned about everything else, but you understand who you have offended first. This is what David lamented after in his sin of adultery and eventually murder. Against you and you alone I have sinned, O God. Isn't it a picture that we see in David? It's not that he didn't have remorse for what he did to others. But he remembered that his responsibility was first to God. Later on, we begin to see that he had this godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So as we are getting ready to dive into Joseph's story, we need to understand that that we're going to look at a guilty conscience. And, And it's not that all guilt is bad. In fact, false guilt is not from the Lord. This isn't good. But if you feel guilty... It may be because you're guilty. And this is a gift from God, and he wants to lead us down a path of restoration and redemption. The first and foremost work that the Holy Spirit is to convict and convince us that we need God's forgiveness. And when he does this, he's taken us in a path of healing. So now look at Genesis chapter 42 as we finally dive into the passage of Joseph's life. We begin to see that Joseph is interacting with his family who has a very calloused and cold heart. See, the Holy Spirit is activating their calloused and their seared conscience. It's between, uh, it's been rather 20 years since they sold their brother into slavery. It was their jealous anger that caused them to lie to their father. And, and they've tried to forget it. They've tried to suppress it, avoid it, tried to move on with their lives. But below the surface, this voice of guilt keeps rising up. Let's pick up at Genesis 42. I'll be reading verse 1 through 5. Then Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt. And he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. 
we begin to see that they're starting to feel a taste of the mistreatment that they gave to their brother Joseph. These brothers who sold him into slavery, who left him for dead, are now beginning to get a taste of what it's like to, to, to feel some pain and sorrow in their life. Look at verse 21. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was in, uh, when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Joseph's brothers are talking there in verse 21 of chapter 42. Now I want you to hold your finger in Genesis 42 and now flip with me to Psalm chapter 32. We begin to see a parallel path for God's plan to get us from guilt to grace. Listen as I read Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you, and while you may be found, surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. We begin to see some keys taking place here, and, and we see this in this psalm, and we see some things happening in Joseph's brothers, and, and I think their, their application for us tonight, and what we do with a guilty conscience. And first, jot this down. We need to see that we have to acknowledge our transferred distress. And that's what Joseph's brothers did. They began to acknowledge their transferred distress. Well, what do you mean, Brady? The very emotional pain that filled their brother's life that they inflicted on him, they are now acknowledging that it's transferred to them and they are feeling what it is that they have done to their brother. It's like ripping off a 20-year callus that has grown over their conscience and keeping them from feeling the pain of their guilt. And there's many of us, I believe, in the church who don't feel guilt because we've allowed a callus to grow over disobedience. And we don't feel guilty, so therefore we say we're not guilty. But the Lord wants to bring freedom from that. And he can soften the hearts just like he did Joseph's brothers. And when he softens your heart, be ready. Because there is a wave of grief coming. There's a wave of guilt coming. But it's not to undo you as Satan wants you to think. It's to lead you to redemption and freedom and victory. This is what happened to David when he writes about his sin in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, silent about what? Silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He began to, to, to feel the weight of the sin that he had committed. He'd been callous to for so long. The Lord allowed him to feel and experience it again. 
I see this happen often when I'm working with people. There is a husband who finds himself faced with the reality that his wife is leaving him, and now he is freshly faced with the grief and the pain that he has inflicted on his wife and abuse and and mental uh, all kinds of anguish for many years, and now he is wrecked with grief because he is feeling it for the first time of what he's inflicted on his spouse. This can happen between parents and children. Parents feel the pain of distress when they see the very things they did to their kids happening in their children's home. And it's fresh and and this grief comes to them and and there is this guilt that, that weighs on them. The enemy wants you to think, this is your end. You are you are done. But God has a path of redemption right at this point. A guilty conscience when the Holy Spirit is prompting you is a gift from the Lord. It may take years like Joseph's brothers, but it will eventually come. The pain will rip back the hard callus that we have built over our conscience. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've experienced this. And for Joseph brothers, the emotional bills are finally coming due. They are feeling that exact same crushing emotions that Joseph experienced long ago. And don't think that Joseph is unmoved by what he hears. Look at verse 24. It says that, Joseph turned away from them and began to weep. Now Joseph is is no longer weeping for his own pain, but he's weeping for his brothers. He knows that God is working on their hearts and he's beginning to see that there's reconciliation possible here. And because that he wants them to have that reconciliation, he wants to let them know who he is, but he knows he better not reveal who he is and cut short the Holy Spirit's work of convicting their hearts. That's an important point in the process. He's far from interfering. We begin to see that he becomes an agent of God to move his brothers from guilt to grace. We acknowledge the transferred distress of of our guilty action. And then, like Joseph's brothers, we admit our personal guilt. Let's go back to Psalm 32. David confesses, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. This flies in the face of everything our culture tells us. When you've done something wrong, deny it, deny it, deny it, deny it. Wisdom of the world will tell you. You know, there's a lot of things you may believe, but if you can't prove it, then you're free. That's not what Scripture says. When there is a convicting of the Holy Spirit, acknowledge that some of the the transfer of the pain that's been happened by your sin, you're probably going to feel. But own up to it. Acknowledge, admit your guilt. Did you notice that this is what Joseph's brothers are doing? They are no longer blaming the dysfunctional family that they could have blamed earlier. They're no longer blaming Joseph's boastful dreams. There's no more excuses, rationalization, or alibis given. They said, we are responsible. They are taking personal responsibility for what they did. That's a key step in moving forward. And hear me today, the only sin that will keep you from God is a sin that you're not willing to own up to. You can't go so far that God won't forgive. The only unforgivable sin is the sin that's not confessed, the sin that's not owned up to. To confess literally means to say the same thing about, I'm going to say the same thing about my sin that God says. And God doesn't say, well, it's no big deal. 
It's a huge deal. He says, you and I are guilty. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And this does not absolve us from the fact that we need to confess our sin before him. But we need to realize that a guilty conscience, if it's true guilt, is a gift from God. Embrace that and, and, and admit that you are guilty and allow God to take you down a path of healing and restoration. Someone has said that I can either make a case or I can make a confession. I can make a case for why what I did was acceptable or if you were in my shoes you would have done the same thing. Or I can just confess. See, people who are always making a case for themselves never experience the grace that God wants to give them. This is not about God wanting to put you under his thumb and tell you how horrible you are. That's the the enemy. That's what Satan wants to say. But God is saying, get free from it. Admit what's going on and let me bring freedom into your life. A guilty conscience can be a gift from God. For when God extends the offer, we need to look at the third, to accept God's free gift of grace. Now, my guess is on a night like tonight, there's probably not anybody in the sound of my voice here who hasn't heard about the free gift of God's grace. But I wonder how many of us are operating in the grace and the overflow of God's gift of grace he has given to us. In our faith tradition, we have a strong doctrine or understanding of sin because we have a strong doctrine or understanding of grace. It's because His love is so great for us that we don't dare want to continue to hurt His heart and our disobedience. God is calling us to allow a guilty conscience to actually get us back on track, not put us under and finish us off. David sings, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Notice that forgave is in the past tense. God has already forgiven me in Christ Jesus. He's already forgiven you in Christ Jesus. But that forgiveness does not take effect for us until we confess our sin. You see, Joseph's brothers didn't deserve any help. They deserved prison for the rest of their lives. They deserved to die for their sin. But far from getting what they deserved, they received God's grace from, of all people, the very person they sought to destroy earlier. Their rival, their brother Joseph, became their redeemer. Isn't that just like God in the life of Joseph to also give us an example of what he wants to do for us? The very thing that you feel like is the rival, your nemesis that's going to come at you, your Achilles heel, Achilles tendon, your weakness. God has designed an opportunity for that to be a place of your greatest strength when he comes in and brings forgiveness and healing. It's no different for you and I. Romans 5.8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. I read this story I'm about to share with you a little while back, and I want you to hear the words of a story that spoke to me. Bobby and his sister Sarah went to visit their grandmother on the farm a couple weeks during the summer break. Bobby was 
trying out his new slingshot behind the house one day and killed a little bluebird that was perched on a tree. And whore, his sister Sarah, exclaimed, Bobby, that was Grandma's pet bird. She's going to be so upset at you when she finds out. Bobby quickly gathered up the bird, and instead of telling his grandmother, he took the bird and buried it behind the barn and swore his sister to secrecy. Later that night, after dinner, Grandma reminded Sarah that it was his her turn to do the dishes. Sarah thought for a moment turned to Bobby with a knowing look in her eye and said, Grandma, I believe Bobby would like to do the dishes tonight. Without arguing, Bobby complied and did the dishes. This went on the next night and the next night until it was all week long. Sarah was capitalizing on her brother's guilty secret The last day before they were to leave, Bobby couldn't stand it any longer. He went to his grandmother and tearfully confessed that he had killed her pet bird. His grandmother replied, Bobby, I saw you kill my bird that day. I was looking out the back window. Bobby, I forgave you the moment you did it. But I've been waiting for you to confess it to me. I wondered how long you would let your sister hold your sin over your head and keep you captive. You know, that's just a cute story that's probably not true, one that preachers read. (laughs) But I think, you know what, we're a lot like that. I think God says, how long are you going to let the enemy hold you captive because of your secret disobedience or something that you've stuffed long ago? If there's something that you have not dealt with, that you've not confessed, that you've not made restitution for, God says, let me bring a path of healing in your life. Our culture says, guilt is always bad. Well, I don't think it feels good. False guilt is of the enemy. Shame is always of the enemy. But true guilt is a gift from God when the Holy Spirit is convicting us. As we pray together, I want to encourage you to allow the truth of Joseph's story to bring hope for you. Maybe you're here tonight and there is a callus of 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years that's beginning to peel back. We have an opportunity to ignore it and slap a bandage on it and move on. Or we can say, God, are you softening my heart? Not to get me to feel like the worst person in the world, but to get me to feel like one of your kids who has every opportunity to have victory and freedom in their life. If that's you, expect to feel... The pain come back that you have pushed out for a while. Don't short-circuit that. It brings not only worldly sorrow, but it brings godly sorrow. And that leads to a place where we are open to own up to it, to repent, and to accept God's free grace. Father, I thank you. For how many places I feel like our lives intersect with Joseph's life. I mean, he was extraordinary in some ways, but in many ways, the average ups and downs of Joseph's life connect with us as the average Joe, the average person.
Lord, I ask for the people who are here. This is the core, the cream of the crop who come on a Sunday night. Lord, I pray that you'll soften our hearts. If there's a callus that needs to be removed, I pray that you would not let us go to sleep tonight without surrendering that to you and allowing you to bring to light what it is you want us to admit to and allowing you to lead us to a path of healing and redemption. Father, for those of us, our conscience may be clear. God, I pray that we will celebrate the gift that you give us in the work of the Holy Spirit. And finally, Lord, I lift up my brother or sister who they are under the thumb of the enemy with false guilt. On a message like this, they could be all torn up inside every single night of the week just because the enemy gets them to feel guilty about things that man is expecting of them or that they are expecting of themselves, but has nothing to do with your law or what you want for us. Bring them freedom. Bring them hope tonight. Thank you, Father, for the word you have given to us. Your truth that is rock solid. It's in your son's powerful name we pray. Amen and amen. If you hug seven people, you are dismissed.